Amen. Good morning, church. Sorry about that. <coughs> Please pray for me because I don't know what's happening to my voice. I think it's one of you who has a cat and I hugged you. <coughs> I'm allergic to cats. <coughs> believe that's what it is. <laughs> so, just do one of these numbers. If you have, ah, oh, Linda, you, you're the culprit, boy. You hugged me like three or four times. Lord have mercy. <coughs> just pray for me. It'll, it'll clear up soon. <coughs> so, the title that I have for you this morning is Resolving the Crisis Within. Resolving the Crisis Within. This is an all-important topic to me and my heart, because believe it or not, one of the things that we are going to discover here in the book of Ruth, we're going to, I'm, I'm going to give you the passage in a few moments, but we're going to be talking about a young lady by the name of Ruth, and it's a story about a crisis resolution, a crisis resolution. It's a story that started long, long, long ago, and we're going to get there with a few details and a few moments. Um, and it's all about God's plan to save mankind from his sins. <clears throat> As I said to you already, it's a story concerning the crisis that began long before Ruth ever lived. It's a story that began in the Garden of Eden. The Bible establishes clearly that God created mankind and he blessed them. And the only restriction that he gave to mankind was not to consume from the tree that was planted in the middle of the garden, in the, me in the middle of their paradise. But we know the story as it takes place, as it's given to us in the third chapter of the book of Genesis. They rebelled against God, and as a result, ever since then, mankind has required God's direct and personal influence. How many know today that without God's influence upon our lives, we would just simply merely go astray? One of the passages that we read this morning in Sunday school was <clears throat> Romans chapter 3. And we were entertaining a very, very important topic. And it's the topic concerning the nature that you and I possess. How many know that we possess an inherent sinful nature? And all you have to do is turn your back on God today, turn your back on the Word of God today, and you will automatically default to displeasing God in every way, shape, and form. And that's the reason why false religion is advancing as it is in these last days. It's also the reason why secular humanism, the <clears throat> society without religion, so they say, is advancing the way that it is. Because our sinful nature, we have an appetite for the things of God, but we also have an appetite for the things that are not of God. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ruth, <clears throat> chapter 2. Our message this morning is about an, an analysis, if you will, of a biblical character's life and how God actually chose to use her to communicate his most meaningful intentions to mankind the point of this message is to consider the biblical model for responding to God's calling. How many know that the Bible presents a particular model <clears throat> regarding His calling upon our lives? Ruth, chapter 2. Almost clear. It's almost clear, Joey. It's almost there. I know you're watching me. He's like, get over it, dude. <clears throat> Ruth, chapter 2. <clears throat> Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man, some of your versions probably says a wealthy man, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. 
And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. You see that? God bless you. It's in the Bible. It's right there. I, I thought about Ron Muir when I read that passage <clears throat> the other day. He's always saying, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the one, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves <clears throat> after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? <clears throat> And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother <coughs> And your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, <clears throat> I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread, <clears throat> which is significant, and dip your morsel in the wine, which is also significant. And she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to clean the glean, Boaz <clears throat> instructed his young man, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. <clears throat> her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what Food she had left over after being satisfied. Hmm, leftovers are always the best, right? And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where, do you, where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of your redeemer, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you should keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, <clears throat> it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the reading of your word this morning. Father, I pray, I pray that you clear my throat, Lord God, <clears throat> so that I may reveal publicly to your people what you have revealed to me in secret. Father, I know that there's a very important message here in this text. How you reveal yourself, essentially, in this particular passage. How the plan of redemption for mankind is actually within the pages of this particular book. Father, speak to us now during this time. You people are listening. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody says... Amen. Please continue to pray for me, my throat. What a wonderful picture we find in this particular passage concerning, listen to this, concerning the span of life 
from the beginning of God's calling upon our lives to the end at the final harvest. It's a picture of our lifespan. How many know that there's never an, an, an exception in terms of God's dealings with mankind? How he chooses to woo us and instruct us and call upon us on a regular basis. One of the passages that I often refer to in all of the Bible, because I love it so much, because I've been committed to truth for a very long time, is found in the book of Proverbs. There's one in Psalms 15, I believe it is as well, that, that speaks of God's voice and how, how God is always proclaiming, how God is always calling, He's always ministering, He's always seeking to draw us unto Himself. Why? Because He loves us. And this is the one particular message that's found within the pages of the book of Ruth. The redemptive plan of mankind. We understand that from God's calling and acceptance of Ruth to the final detail of their relationship when it culminates with her kinsman, Redeemer. The book of Ruth reflects a literal account of activities that actually took place long ago. But it is also a symbolic representation of all of mankind and our dealings with our Creator. Did you take the time to read the book of Ruth this past week? How many, how many read the book? Okay, a lot of you took the time. So what we discover in this book it's a wonderful story, and, and it's a model, if you will. It's a model that I discovered in this particular book, that no matter what book in the Bible you choose to read, this model is found in the pages of the Word of God. And the model begins this way. Number one, it begins with truth. As I stated to you already, God's voice, God's calling upon mankind, and truth this first element of this model, it deals with the God factor. So from this point forward, I'm probably going to refer to it as the God factor and how God interacts with us through his word. The second element of the model found in this book is commitment slash rejection. It's up on your screen. <clears throat> commitment slash rejection. And this element deals with mankind's response to God. Let me pause for a moment here just to give some, some context. God is always revealing himself to mankind. Some people actually believe that God is an impersonal God. There are a lot of societies, a lot of communities on this planet that actually believe the agnostics, for example, the atheists, for example, who actually deny the existence of God. And they actually believe that God is an impersonal God. That God's not in touch with the feelings of our infirmities. That's Hebrews chapter 4. But the, the, the opposite is actually true. God is in touch with us. God knows exactly what we're going through. God knows exactly where you are with your faith today. He knows exactly what you're struggling with today. He knows every intimate detail about your life. And so he seeks to minister to us and he utilizes what? He utilizes the Word of God. He utilizes truth to communicate to us. And concerning the second element, there's always a response on your part and mine. There's never a time when we can actually justify ourselves with the idea, the idea or ideology or philosophy concerning the existence of neutrality. There's no such thing as neutrality. As, as God's creation, we respond in one way or another. The third element of this model is perseverance. And this deals with the appropriation or the application of God's word in our lives. Or the rejection of God's word in our lives. And the fourth element is resolution. And this deals with the end result associated with living out the word of God. The end result of your life and mine. The end result of living for Jesus Christ. How many know what the end result is going to be? How many know? Let me see your hand. The end result. I don't know about you, but I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm going to take off just like this. I'm going to take off just like that because I know that one day very soon, the sky is going to split wide open. The trumpets are going to sound as a result. And we're going to be snatched away. That's what, that's what I believe. I don't know what you believe, but that's what I believe. 
And I know that one day I'm going to be walking on streets of gold. How many, how many looking forward to that? Streets of gold. I'm going to be walking on streets of gold and I'm going to spend eternity with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you, I'm going to beat you to his feet. I'm going to beat you to his feet, right? I'm going to, I'm going to lay myself, myself prostrate at the feet of Jesus Christ. I don't care about the toe jam. I don't care about any of that stuff. Ugh. I'm going to kiss his feet for eternity because of what he has done for me. How about you? Anybody excited here about what he has done in your life? <clears throat> the first point that I want to leave with you this morning is the Kingsman Redeemer. And as we go through this message, I want you to keep in mind <clears throat> the model that I presented to you. Truth, commitment slash rejection, perseverance, and resolution. Because what I want to do is I want to weave this model into this particular text. <clears throat> Look at verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. And I'm going to read verse 20. Because I'm going to present this particular element. <clears throat> the kingsman redeemer. And Naomi had a kingsman of her husband. A, ma a mighty man of wealth. Uh, that's a different version I'm reading to you now. Of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Now look to, <clears throat> look to verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. One of our Redeemers. There are two perspectives concerning the Kingsman Redeemer as revealed in this one particular pa passage. There's a natural perspective concerning the King Kingsman Redeemer, but there's also a symbolical, allegorical <clears throat> perspective, if you will, concerning the Kingsman Redeemer. sore now. <clears throat> it's worth noting here that according to the law, God established a provision <clears throat> which actually legally allowed them to be involved in the affairs of men. I want you to, I want you to hear that again. <clears throat> Thank you, Ron. <clears throat> I'm going to repeat that because it's, it's vitally important. How many of you, by the way, let me ask, have you you studied before this idea of kinsman redeemer? How many studied this before? Not just read about it simply, but actually studied it. It's actually phenomenal. In the law, in previous books, the Pentateuch, as written by the prophet Moses, God actually makes provision for himself to be involved legally in the affairs of men. And I'm going to try to do my best. I'm looking at the time. I'm going to try to do my best. Just a few points that I want to present to you concerning this. So he establishes a legal provision for himself. Um, they actually gave him the opportunity to be involved in the affairs of men. And he comes up with... <clears throat> the Lord himself comes up in the law of Kingsman Redeemer, which I refer to as the God Factor. Kingsman Redeemer in the Hebrew is Goel Hadam. Goel Hadam. And it means the one who redeems, receives, or buys back. And it's been translated in different ways in the Bible. It has been translated as deliverer, savior, rescuer, avenger, and redeemer. And if you want to consider this a little bit further, look up. Leviticus chapter 25, Leviticus 27, and Numbers 35 on your own time. And, it would, and, and if you have a study Bible, really, really consider this. It's going to blow your mind. You're going to see God himself revealing himself. God himself legally binding himself to mankind. The natural reference or the natural perspective is this. It's about a man, a person, a man, a male who, as the nearest relative of another, is charged with the duty of restoring the rights of another and avenging 
his wrongs. For example, a woman, a woman who lost her husband without bearing children would require a kinsman redeemer, a, a kinsman to redeem her and her homestead if she lost it due to her finances. The next of kin had the responsibility of fulfilling his duties as Goel. And in this one particular passage, we're talking about Naomi and we're talking about Ruth as well. We know that according to chapter 1, in this one particular book, I heard it, it's looping. In this chapter 1 in Ruth, we read that they transitioned over from Bethlehem, Judah, over to Moab because there was a famine in the land. And as a result of their time, during their time in Moab, which was, according to chapter 1, 10 years Pretty much exactly. And during that time, Elimelech dies. Malon and Chilion also died. I'm probably mispronouncing those names. I don't know. But um, Naomi's sons also die in that land. Which was a crisis to begin with. Yes or no? It, it was a crisis. And so, when they returned to Bethlehem, according to the law, they had their right to their property. According to the law... Someone had to fulfill the responsibility of marrying um, Ruth and bearing children for her deceased husband. Now, this is where it gets interesting because according to the text that we read, there was a gentleman who was in line as Kingsman Redeemer before Boaz. And they take the matter publicly. It was a matter that was considered publicly. They took it out to the probably some public forum, if you will, and they considered this thing. And Boaz presents the opportunity to this other gentleman to redeem both Naomi and Ruth. It wasn't just one. The Redeemer had to redeem both. <clears throat> Naomi was kind of a little bit too old to marry, right? So the Redeemer had to be interested in marrying Ruth, but buying back their homestead. Buying back whatever it is, Elimelech, the husband, left for Naomi. The Redeemer had to purchase that back and then purchase, purchase it as well for Ruth because she would inherit. Because now her husband is dead. And the gentleman that was first in line said, you know what, man? I'm good. I'm good. That, that Naomi chick, she's a little bit too old for me. I'm, I'm good. You can go ahead and redeem it for me if you want. And so Boaz goes in and he steps in. He says, I want it. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to pay for it. And so what they did publicly is that they had to take off their shoe, one shoe, and exchange shoes with one another as a public sign that Boaz was now the kingsman, redeemer, who chose to fulfill his legal duty. Whether the redeemer wanted or not, had to fulfill. And in this one particular case, Boaz was a righteous man who did the right thing concerning this particular family. The symbolic reference is this. <clears throat> that the law of Kingsman Redeemer in our Bible is representative of the position our Creator put Himself in concerning the redemption of mankind. So you see, it was God who instituted the law or the idea of Kingsman Redeemer. So what he is essentially doing or saying or declaring to all of mankind is that I created you. You are my own. I've lost you, but I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I can't go over there. It's a no zone. And I'm, I'm, God is essentially saying, I'm ready to buy you back. I've lost you to sin, but I'm ready to buy you back. And I put a legal provision in your law allowing me to interact with you. You can't reject me. You can't despise me. You can't denounce me. I'm going to do this thing lovingly because I love you, because I created you, because of our eternity. How many know that our eternity is on the line? So this Kingsman Redeemer idea, it serves as a type as well. This is, we got to add to this, to this symbolic uh, reference to the Kingsman Redeemer. It's a reference to what Jesus Christ would ultimately fulfill for you and I in the New Testament. And it's found all over the New Testament. Consider, for example, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. It speaks of Christ identifying himself with us. 
and redeeming us because of our need. Hebrews 2.11 states that both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. The idea is that according to Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 2, that Christ himself humbled himself and became a man just like you and I. For what purpose? Anybody. For what purpose? For the purpose of dying for our sins and offering us eternal life. This idea of kingsman redeemer in the legal system allows that to be so beautifully intertwined all over the Bible. God made provision for himself. We read passages like the ones that so many like to quote in the New Testament that, that we know that from eternity past, he prepared a way for us to be saved. The Bible actually says it like that. From eternity past. It's amazing. It's extraordinary. The love of God. This should speak volumes to you. Concerning the love that God has for us. And the second point here concerning this kingsman, or this symbolic reference to kingsman redeemer, is that not only is Jesus our redeemer, not only has he redeemed us from sin, he is a kingsman who understands our struggles. And the reason why that's so important is because it's not easy to live this life in the flesh, is it? Any find, anybody here find it absolutely perfectly to live out your Christianity? No, it's just not possible. I say that Christianity is the most difficult life to live. Because it's the highest of all standards. And yet Jesus Christ did not only die as our kingsman redeemer so that our sins may be forgiven. He died so that we can be, be able to relate with him. We, we cannot say this side of heaven... God has no clue what we are going through because he actually walked this life out in the flesh, enduring more than what you and I are capable of ever enduring. And he fulfilled and ratified the whole thing in his blood. Where we can look to him today as a source of help. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, and how the author of the book actually explains it. He says, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. It's, it's interesting, he uses the word brothers. We are referred to as brothers because he humbled himself. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is also able to help those who are being tempted. <coughs> Let's take this back to the book of, he uh, book of Ruth. She found help from her kingsman redeemer. He was there to purchase from whoever had ownership of the property that should have gone to Naomi. The kingsman redeemer purchased that lot, that homestead, that estate. Gives it back to Naomi, but also purchases for Ruth as well. And what a wonderful picture that is of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what he did for us so long ago. But just think of the pain that she was dealing with. When they got back to Bethlehem, were they wealthy in any way, shape or form? No, on the contrary, they were poor. They were extremely poor. And Ruth finds herself in the text. I challenge you to read it if you haven't read it already. Ruth finds herself going. She's practically begging. Thankfully, the law also allowed for those who did not have money to actually glean behind the reapers out in the fields. And the reapers, the, home, the owners of this land, could not refuse the poor from gleaning among the sheaves, as the Bible refers to it as. She finds herself, she's begging. The woman is essentially homeless. She's poor. 
the property that she was supposed to inherit now belongs to somebody else. And she needs a kingsman redeemer. Didn't you and I find ourselves in a situation like that not too long ago? Some of you have known Jesus 30, 40, 50, 60 years even, I would imagine. But remember that season in your life before you came to know Jesus Christ. And somebody took the time to explain to you what he can do for you and what he actually did for us. I don't know about you, but it doesn't matter what I'm dealing with in the natural. Because he died for me, because he bled for me, because he suffered for me the way that he did. I look to him all the time. Mi socorro, my help, my helper, my refuge, my restorer. That's my Jesus. This is great news for us. Listen to Psalms 107 verse 2. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hands of the enemy. That was David talking so long ago. Point number two, don't try to stop me. That's the point. Don't try to stop me. And this, this point here speaks to the second element of the model we presented earlier. Commitment slash rejection. Commitment slash rejection. We established already that God is always speaking. That God is always communicating. God is always seeking to reach into our lives. And this point has to do with our initial response to God. Our initial response to God. How many know that when God speaks, mankind responds? Unfortunately, we don't always respond in the affirmative. We're not always responding with yes and amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. Unfortunately, that is not the case. If you look up any statistic model out there, any whatsoever... They're staggering. The findings are staggering. We probably have about 7.7 billion people on this planet. And most people do not have this hope that you and I enjoy. Most people do not. Look at chapter, um, chapter 1, verse 16. Book of Ruth. Don't try to stop me. This is about Ruth's response. To God's calling upon her life. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. What a commitment. What a commitment to things that were relatively new to her. This was a Moabite woman, someone who was probably used to and was involved in over her head with a pagan culture. Her family lived in Moab. Everything that she knew was in Moab, and yet she made the decision and she was actually willing to leave it all. For what? For the cause of Christ, if you will. Because I I would imagine how she sat often by Naomi's side. And you know that it was written in the law that, that the Hebrew people had to perpetuate the things of God. The word of mouth, these stories, these wonderful things. I would imagine that Ruth was subjecting herself to, that she was listening to. How many responded with a yes and amen to the gospel the very first time you heard it? You heard it? Hmm, none. Probably none of us. I heard it for many years. For many years until finally one day I was utterly broken and could not run from the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I had to lend my ears. And the day I did, faith faith came alive within me. She's listening. She's influenced by Naomi. And she responds accordingly. When it was time for Naomi to return to Bethlehem, she says, I'm going with you. I don't care what you say. Orpah went back to her family. She says, I don't care what you say, I'm going. Remember, I know where you live. I've never been there, but I can see it in my mind's eye. You talk to, you, I can't back up. That's the no zone either. And she says to Naomi, I'm going, whether you lead me or not, you're going to get out of my way or I'm going to run you over, but I'm not staying here. And why? Simple. 
She made a decision to follow after what she had come to accept as truth. The God of the Hebrew people. Look at verses 17 and 18. Chapter 1. 17 and 18. It says, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. There comes a time when everyone chooses a particular direction in life. But unfortunately, the decision is rarely the correct one. I want you to listen to these statistics. A survey that was conducted this year, this year, of just under 9,300 adults. Just under 9,300 adults. And the finding is this, that approximately only 9% of adults over 40 accept Christ as Savior. Approximately, these numbers are not perfect, they're never perfect, they're not absolute. Depends on where they do it and etc., what questions they ask. But this survey revealed that 9% of adults over 40 accept Jesus today. Whether it's true or not, it's staggering. And I think it's time that as God's people today, we stood up to truly make the decision to plow away until our dying breath. I think it's time for you and I as God's people to make a decision to serve the Lord completely without reservations. Now, I know that I'm preaching to the choir because I know that these are you. You are people who love the Lord unconditionally, right? I know that we are perfect here today. I know that we have no struggles whatsoever with regard to our dedication or devotion to God. I know that we are yes and amen people, right? Amen somebody. Uh, D say, no, no, Jack, no, Jack, that's not, that's not true. That's not true. I got issues. <clears throat> First John 4, 4 says, greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. We're going to have some struggles. This point has to do with our response to God. In spite of your difficulties, we have to respond to God. We have to yield our lives over to God. And God promises as our kingsman redeemer to take care of us. Point number three, it pays to do the right thing. It pays to do the right thing. And this point deals with the third element of our model. Perseverance. Perseverance. We've already established God's voice, His truth, the God factor. Secondly, we established our initial response to God. But it's all important. For you and I to live a life that is worthy of God's calling upon our lives. This is perseverance. No matter what book you read, you will find this element within the pages. God desires for you and I as his people to live out this wonderful faith that he has blessed us with. Amen. We don't say yes to Jesus today and tomorrow we're off doing our own thing. That's not Christianity. There is no salvation in that whatsoever. If I claim with my mouth today to serve the Lord, and tomorrow you see me doing something that's extraordinary, way out of line, and not in sync with the gospel, and every single day you observe my life, and you've determined that I'm not, my life is not in sync with the word of God. Listen, you got, you got to question my salvation. You have to question whether I know Jesus Christ or not. We have to live this thing out. This wonderful, wonderful power that God releases into our lives by His Spirit when we live this thing out. I want you to consider a few verses here. Look to chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. Because we want to establish, we talked about how Ruth clearly responded to God's calling. But how do we know for sure whether she was a changed person or not, right? It's a fair question. Chapter 2, 10 through 12. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, 
all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you. What a blessing. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I think it's safe to say that these verses give us a glimpse into the woman that she became as a result of Naomi's influence on her life. Amen. Thank God for grandmothers, right? Anybody thank God, thank God for grandmothers? Anybody, anybody here today because grandma prayed for you? Anybody here because grandma prayed you into the kingdom of heaven? Amen. Hey, praise God for grandmothers. She had changed so dramatically that she was essentially regarded as a Hebrew herself. She wasn't a Hebrew. The people knew she wasn't a Hebrew, but she was living this thing out. It wasn't a intellectual ascent on her part. She was living this thing out. And according to the verses that we, should, we just read, Boaz, he points out a number of things. Number one, that she was an honorable woman. Number two, that she was a faithful woman. Three, that she was a righteous woman. And four, that she was completely committed. She was completely committed to the God of the Hebrew people, in spite of the fact that she lost everything. We, we talked about that already. She lost her husband. She lost her, she lost her, 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 her father-in-law. She lost her home. She gave up. She turned her back on her family in Moab. She left everything to follow, to follow what? To follow truth. Perseverance. Perseverance. In my estimation, this is perhaps the one element of the gospel that every church, every Bible-believing church, should spend all of their time unpacking. Right here. Because it speaks to our lives. There's an invasion in the church. Did you know that? I don't know how you see it, but that's how I see it. There's an invasion in the church. And there are a, there's a lot of compromise. Now, I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church down the street. There's an invasion in the body of Christ. And it's called compromise. It's called indifference. It's called apathy. It's called insensitivity. And we are lending our ears to things that are not rooted in the, in the Word of God. And as a result... We become, how many know that we become the information that we take in? How many know that? We become the information that we take in. I was a loser and a half, and then some because of the information that I took in. Somebody talked to me about Jesus, and I said yes, and that's all she wrote. We become the information we take in. And there's a secular humanism that's invading the church. And today, in this church even, by people outside of this building, say... Council members, or what have you, the, the, the federal government, they expect us to be tolerant of sin in society today. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? They're going to shoot me. That's what they're going to have to do. Because we're going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about the need to change our lives. The need to yield our lives to Jesus Christ. Paul he said in Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 concerning this perseverance, right? He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. I know that you're struggling here. I know some of us are struggling here this morning. But there's, there's, how many know that we, we are part of a blessed hope? How many know that? It, this is a blessed hope. The gospel, What? The gospel of Jesus Christ, is it, can it get any better than this? There's a struggle every single day. But the Bible says in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Perseverance. And the last point, we shall reap if we faint not. Taken from that one verse. But I want to share something different. This point has to do with the fourth element of our model, resolutions. The million dollar question many people live with daily today is, 
will it be will it be worth it in the end when we stand before God will it have been worth doing the right thing somebody said listen i rather i rather turn myself to turn myself over to Jesus today and be wrong later than to reject him and and you know i probably messed that all up <laughs> I think I, I think I messed it up, so I'm going to quit while, while, while I'm behind. But you get the meaning, right? Listen, I want to know Jesus today. And, and if it just it turns out to be otherwise later, then so be it. At least, at least I'm not going to regret it when I stand before God. But that little saying, it doesn't apply. Because the living hope that we possess today, there's a substance to it. How many feel it? I mean, it's not a... Physical, emotional feeling. It's a spiritual meaning. How many know what I'm talking about? This thing is real. I can, it, it, I could almost wrap my arm around it. It's so tangible. Cannot deny the existence of God when you truly taste to see that the Lord is good. What do you suppose was on Ruth's mind concerning this, concerning this point? Is it worth it? In the end, is it going to be worth it? Look at some verses with me. Chapter 2, verse 3. I'm almost done. Chapter 2, verse 3. It says, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Drop down to verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean on another field, in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Verse 9. Let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Verse 15. Drop down to verse 15. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Verse 16. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. These verses in my mind basically point to the idea that she had acquired a job and a man on the same day. Can you imagine that? I mean, she, she, she got a job and a man on the same day. How many had that success rate? Think of where she come from. She came from Moab. She was a nobody. She was, a, she was poor. And she comes to Bethlehem because she's following after truth and she's getting a job and a man on the same day. Can you imagine? She was committed. She knew that it was going to be worth it at the end. When she set out for Moab, listen, I, I, you're going to get out of my way, Naomi. I'm going to run you over because I know there's life. I know there's light at the end of this tunnel. I know that I'm going to reap a wonderful harvest. What amazing truth. But that wasn't all. Listen to this. The final part of this wonderful story is that because of Ruth's faithfulness to the word of God, she eventually went on to give birth. To the Son of God Himself. How so? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. This is the last verse. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to wait on you. This is a passage concerning the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Remember, Ruth committed herself to following the Word of God. She persevered as a result of her commitment to the word of God. And she believed that she was going to reap a wonderful harvest. And this should speak to you and I here today. Matthew chapter 1. Look at 5 and 6. It says, And Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. What's it saying here? Number one, Ruth and Boaz were King David's great-grandparents. Did you know that? And then 27 generations later, Jesus is born from that same royal line. And number three, because of her faithfulness, even as a Gentile woman, she was included in the royal line of Jesus Christ. The point is that it pays to do the right thing. 
Amen, somebody. It pays to do the right thing. Consider these things wisely as you prepare to start another week. God is speaking to you today. Joey, I'm done. God is speaking to us today. Because he's always speaking to us as mankind. But what's the point? The point is that God requires a response from you and I. He requires a response, an affirmative response from mankind. Because if we want to go to heaven, we have to give him our undivided attention. We have to commit to serving the Lord. This is as real as it gets. But number three, we have to persevere with the things that pertain to God. Listen, this is not about some fly-by-night experience where we, we enjoy something today and tomorrow we can choose to live our lives according to some other secular philosophy or some other ideology. It pays to do the right thing because in the end, in the end, we shall reap eternal life. Amen, somebody? Paul said it this way. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, he says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. There's a wonderful future in store for us, God's people. There's a wonderful future in store for us. And one day very soon, we are going to realize it. Stand with me as we sing this song. And remember what God has declared to you here today. Especially.
Jesus Christ personally. I, I, I think it would be a grave mistake for anybody here who doesn't have this living hope we spoke about here today residing within you in a very tangible way. The Bible establishes clearly God's existence. His existence is undeniable. And what He did for us so long ago on the cross is also undeniable even historians have proven the fact that Jesus Christ walked this earth and the fact that he died on the cross shedding every drop of blood as I believe it in his body for our sins for what purpose so that we might have life and have it more abundantly our eternity is on the line and all we have to do this morning is say yes to Jesus. Is there anybody here this morning who wants to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? You want to take a step of faith. You want to take a step of faith. You want, I want to know this Jesus. It's difficult for me to make this decision, but I want to know this Jesus. There's anybody with a show of hands. You want to know this Jesus. So that we can pray for you. If not... How about you as a believer, as a child of God? Your faith is perhaps not what it used to be and you're struggling. <clears throat> you know it. The people in your family know it. Thankfully, there's no condemnation, but you're struggling and you want to get it right today. Today, you want to make a decision to get back on track. You want Jesus to lead you. You want Jesus to guide you. You want Jesus to instruct you. You want him to take away the pain and the struggle and to breathe life in you once again. If that's you, I want you to pray a prayer with me. You can pray it out loud or pray it in your heart. Say, dear Jesus, I'm struggling today, but I want to get right with you. I want to persevere to the end because I know it's worth it. Strengthen me today, Lord Jesus. I pray that you look into my heart and please forgive all my sin. I'm struggling, Lord God, because of compromise. Please forgive me for wandering away from you. Please forgive me for leading a life that has been displeasing to you. And receive me right now, Lord Jesus. 
And give me the strength by your Holy Spirit to be a righteous servant and to follow you all the days of my life. I thank you, Jesus, for blessing me today. Father, we love you today. We bless you. We magnify your holy name. We thank you for allowing us to enjoy your presence here today, Lord God. And I pray, Father God, you help us to remember the model that exists in your word. This idea of your calling upon our lives on a regular basis. And essentially, you demand a response from us. You want us to commit our lives to you and not to reject you. But you want us to persevere as well. Because you you want to fan out your blessings in our lives. And it requires our intentional worship. And finally, Father, help us to know with absolute certainty that we will reap eternity very soon. We love you. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name and God's people say Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. It's almost 1230, so I want to invite you into the breezeway out here to my left, if you will, if you want to fellowship and network just a little bit. And for those of you who who filled out um, that, that one document for membership or baptism, if you haven't gotten it back to me yet, please let me have it sooner than later. And I will be in touch with you this week with further details. God bless you guys.